Let's pray. Father in heaven, be with us now as we continue in our time of worship today. Uh, May our hearts be open to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've reached the end of the fall series that we launched into, I guess it's been almost 11 weeks ago now, dealing with five questions. Five questions that anyone who comes into this place, who interacts with us as a people, and even each other, has the right to have an answer for. They're natural questions. They happen, we ask them whether we realize it or not. Does anybody remember what the first one is? Do you want me here? You ever been somewhere where it was pretty obvious they didn't want you? It's not fun. Should church be a place where you feel like that? Doesn't seem like it. What was the second question? Do you love me? Who's getting all the answers right? Who's the A student? Do you love me? We ask that question a lot, not very often out loud. But it's very important to us. What was the third question? Is the Lord with you? People have a right to expect that of a church, don't they? We're not the Elks. There's an Elk Lodge near our house. We're not the Elks. They probably do all kinds of really good things. But we're not them. We're a church. People have a right to expect that when they come into this space, there is something about this group that implies the presence of the divine. What was the fourth question? Do you have a purpose? We ought to have a purpose. And then the fifth Is there a place for me in that purpose? Oh, is it on the screen? Ah. Well, that's probably good. Five questions. Do you want me here? Do you love me? Is the Lord with you? Do you have a purpose? Is there a place for me in that purpose? And as we've walked down this road and asked ourselves these questions and reflected on the implications, there's a few things that have come out. And some of this emerged out of, the, uh, out of the post-check day that we had in the middle here. And we'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. But three things came out of that. One was a very deep sense within this community that after COVID, we've got to rebuild this together experience, this love one another experience. It's not that people don't. It's just that we've been separated for a while. And to rebuild that experience. And and with that was another point that came up. That our corporate worship experience would be a powerful time. Where we worship together and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that really was the third point. That we would be a people filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now you're going to hear on these topics as we go into this next year. And, and we're going to start in January with a focus on being a people filled with the Holy Spirit. If you remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to them, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. You see, without the indwelling of the Spirit within the people of God, we're not prepared to do mission for God. So Jesus told them to go back, and we're going to spend some time reflecting on that subject and on the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Why did we choose that first? Well, I'm not sure, but as Jay and I were talking about it and talking about the options for next year, we just felt like the Lord was telling us, start here. Start with the subject of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know what the Lord has in mind, but you might not want to miss the first part of next year because maybe it will be quite interesting. Hard to say. But we need to finish our focus on the questions. And with the last question, is there a place for me in that purpose? Now, let me kind of ruin the whole thing today. The short answer to that question is yes. At least as far as God is concerned. But whether or not a local church communicates to you that there's a place for you in the purpose, that's a different question, isn't it? The Lord has a purpose for you and a place for you in that purpose. But are we as a community making it clear that there is a place for people? I want to start today with the big picture. And we're going to read a passage here, and it's going to use the term you. Now, you definitely means you, the individual you. But it also is Paul addressing the larger reality of the world. Now, now I finally figured something out this uh, last couple of weeks, and that is uh, that the Bible in the pews is an English standard version and I have to wonder if Japheth was involved in that. Uh, is, is, this, is this your fault, the English version? Kind of your fault? All right, all right. So we'll be using the British Bible for the next little while. No, I, it's, this is a great translation, and I'm glad it's there. And So, all right, I'm going to use this one because it's the one you have in front of you, and I want to encourage you to grab one and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. This is a letter of Paul to the church in the city of Ephesus. Now this is interesting. If we actually reflect back to the beginning of the series, we talked about the church in Ephesus when we read from Revelation. It's the first of the seven churches that gets a letter. If you remember the description of the church in Ephesus in Revelation, which was a point that comes later than when Paul wrote this letter, is that they're doing all kinds of good works. They're not prone to falling into heresy. They're not chasing after uh, people with false teachings or, or engaged in immorality and lots of other things. But Jesus had a complaint. Do you remember what it was? He said, you've lost your first love. We talked about how that's a danger for a good church. A good church doing lots of good stuff can lose its first love. And, and one of the ways that gets communicated is, we don't want you here and we don't love you. 
When we have lost that connection of the love of God in our lives, it's nearly impossible for us to show it to each other. But this is an earlier time. And we go to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. And it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All right, this is a very important context statement. You will not understand the rest of what Paul is about to say in this section if you can't see this and understand this. Paul is describing normal. Okay, he's not so much here saying, all of you are evil. What he's saying is, on our own, without the intervention of God through Jesus Christ, our lives are finite, our understanding of right and wrong is limited, and we're just doing our best to try to survive the few years of our lives. You were dead. But he goes on, verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All right, I don't know your story. I don't know your whole backstory, every one of you. You have different experiences. Some of you, you read that and you think, yeah, wow, there was that time in my life where I was chasing after every whim. I was in all kinds of trouble. I was doing this or that. And the Lord intervened in my life and brought me out of that. Yes, indeed, obviously, I was dead. But this is going to be a little harder for you if you've always been one of the good people. If you've always been an older brother. It's a little harder sometimes to spot Deadness, when it doesn't manifest itself in the classically naughty ways. But there's an awful lot of people who have hung around churches all their lives, but they're still dead on the inside. There is a moment for all of us, and it's sometimes more gradual than it is absolute, but there is a moment in our lives where we come to understand the reality of the darkness of our own heart. And we come to see our need for Jesus. Now, it is a blessing to grow up understanding God's will, understanding what God wants, and not getting yourself into a lot of stupid things. But sometimes it can have a deadening effect on your awareness of the darkness that lives in your own soul. There is not one of us who doesn't need Jesus. There are none of us so good that the gift of Jesus was not really needed in my case. And if you think that, then you have joined the deluded ranks of the Pharisees. 
who did not see in Jesus someone they needed. But who was pushing into the kingdom of God? Remember who it was? The tax collectors and the sinners. This is what Paul is talking about. The reality that on our own, we're going nowhere. But it doesn't end there. We go on to verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. There's a why statement here. Why did he do it? It's because he's rich in mercy and because he has great love for you. This is why God intervened on your behalf. He has great mercy and he loves you. It's, it's, in some ways, it's a repeat of John 3.16, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave. So what did he give? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When we were dead, we were made alive together with Christ. So, so in order for this to be a reality, first of all, you have to recognize there is a point in my existence or a singular reality about who I am on my own that makes me dead. But God in his mercy has given me a way to be alive. Why? Because he has mercy and because he loves me. And when did he do it? Well, he did it in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead. And the continued reality of the living Jesus is the evidence of the eternal destiny to which you are called. Let's read through that again and only add verse 6 this time. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many of you feel like you're sitting in a heavenly place right now? Well, in our hearts we can be. Even if in our present reality we may be facing trials, challenges, difficulties. But the promise of God is so sure that from a heavenly perspective we are already considered seated there. Obviously, it's not because we deserve it. But it's because of God's love for us and his great mercy towards us. Let's go on. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. The ultimate fulfillment is still to come. But based on this passage, I'm going to suggest to you, it's going to be pretty sweet. Do you hear how he described this? He called it the immeasurable riches 
of his grace and kindness towards us. That's pretty expansive language, isn't it? Immeasurable. Now he's going to restrate this again. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are all saved by grace through faith. This is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not the result of works. So nobody can be arrogant about this. We all stand on equal ground. The only difference is if you didn't make a lot of really dumb choices earlier in your life, there's some baggage you don't have to carry now. But it didn't make you any more saved. We stand together in the grace of Jesus. There's a place at the table for everyone. And none of the seats are more exalted than the others. We come together to this place. But now, you may be wondering, the point of this message is, is there a place for me in God's purpose? And, and here I am talking about how it's not about your works. It's not about anything you do. Did I just prove the opposite? Well, you, you might think from hearing this that there is then nothing for me to do. Well, I will agree with you to this extent. There is nothing for you to do to earn your salvation. But having been saved, is there anything for you? Well, let's go on. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are what he has made us. We are created in Christ Jesus, or maybe better, recreated in Christ Jesus for what? purpose. Now that I have put off the dead self, now that I have come alive, what is my purpose? If you have done this, understand that there is a whole bunch of things that God has prepared beforehand for you to be your new way of life. You're not just sitting around waiting for the second coming. There's an opportunity here. Now that you're on God's team, start playing for the team. Start doing the things that God has prepared for you. Why? Because he's mean? No, it already says because of his great love. Why does he give these things to us? He gives them to us because this is the life he's prepared for us. And we will find our greatest joy if we will faithfully follow down the road that he has set before us. Every one of us. Everyone who puts faith in Jesus has become a part of the kingdom of God. And God has a divine purpose that he personally prepared for everyone that is part of his kingdom. It's a short-term purpose for now and a long-term purpose in the eternal kingdom. 
So the big picture answer is, if you've put your faith in Jesus, God has a purpose for you. And if we are truly to be a God-honoring, kingdom-of-God church, we better make sure we're doing everything we can to enable that everyone who believes is given the opportunity to live out that purpose. Now, sometimes well-meaning people come along and say, here's your purpose, God told me, go do it. That's not really how it works. Sometimes well-meaning people say, what you're doing is not God's purpose, stop. That's not the way it works. Do you remember what Jesus says in that same John chapter 3? He says, the wind blows where it will. You don't necessarily know where it came from. You don't necessarily know where it's going. So are those filled with the Spirit. It could be that this is why Jay and I felt as though God was telling us to start this next year talking about the role of the Holy Spirit as as it is through the Spirit of God that God achieves His purposes through us. There's a great Bible metaphor for the reality of the church in the context of the Spirit. And Jay touched on it last week. I want to look at it again this week because it speaks very strongly on this issue. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Spiritual gifts is something we should understand. We should understand where they come from. We should understand what they're like. And we should understand our own role related to these. Now skip down to verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everything. Paul here uses a little variety, excess repetition to help us understand what he's saying. He's basically making the same statement three times, but he's making it three completely different ways. And what we're to gain from this is the understanding that that within the church there's going to be a variety of things. And we're not to look at that and say, well, that's the Spirit of God, what they do. But I don't know what you're doing. We're not supposed to have that Spirit. Let's keep going. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now this is a This is a hugely overlooked point. The gifts of the Spirit that God gives to His people are given for the common good. In other words, what this saying is the gifting God has given you is not for your personal joy. It's so that by using your gift, we will be blessed. You see, here's how the grace of God is poured out on his church. He pours into us gifts and abilities and callings, and when we act out those callings, the community is blessed. And every single person 
is given a gifting by the Spirit that if they will use it, the community here or out there or somewhere will be blessed for the kingdom of God because you're doing what God equipped you to do. Now let me tell you what happens if you don't do it. You become responsible for withholding the grace of God from the world. The Spirit of God comes upon each one of us and we use those gifts for the common good. If I do not use my gifts, then that grace of God that was to come to the world through me does not go forth and I become the block. It's a pretty big responsibility, isn't it? To be a part of the kingdom of God, to be called into his purpose, to be given gifts through the Holy Spirit. And that these gifts are for the common good. Pastor Jay is not here today. He uh, texted me yesterday. We were supposed to have a lunch together yesterday with someone. Texted me yesterday and said, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. I think he's okay. I, I think it's a cold, but uh, yeah, I think he's fine. But he wasn't there and he decided he wasn't going to come today. And my very first inclination was, we should cancel church if you can't be here, right? Because he pretty much does everything. So I said, no, no, we're going to do this. I said, when do you usually get here on Sabbath? He said, 5.30. I said, I'm not doing that. I made it at 7.30. And I turned the heat on. And I kept having to text him, how do I do this? How do I do that? I made coffee. My apologies if it's not good. I spilled. I made a mess. I didn't set out snacks. There are so many opportunities within the community of God's people. It's wonderful that Jay loves to do these things. Should we be okay with all the different things he's doing? There's much development we can do in so many areas, but let me just suggest this one thing. If you feel like God is, is putting something on your heart that will help us love one another, or that will help us experience powerful worship together, or will help us to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you probably don't need to ask. You probably can just do it, right? I mean, not everything has to be a church program. We come here one day a week, but you've got six other days of your life you live, right? You can have people over to your house anytime you want. You can read the Bible and study together anytime you want. You can join people in prayer anytime you want. We don't have to organize a ministry to do this. We just have to be people who want this and who choose it. One of the great things about being Adventist is Sabbath. This day that we have that we set apart and it causes us to have interpersonal relationships and, and times of worship and all these things that we'd otherwise be too busy to do. One of the downsides of being Adventists is we have Sabbath. Oh, I do that on Sabbath. I don't need to be spiritual the rest of the week. 
It's kind of easy to get a group of Adventists together on a Friday night because they're not doing anything anyway. Kind of hard to get them together on any other night of the week because they got a full schedule. Where do we put our priorities? You see, we don't need a program. We just all need to use our gifts. We just all need to do what we do. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. And to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You've probably heard that list read before. Are any of those missing from our experience? We get plenty of people standing up here purporting to give wisdom and knowledge, right? We get lots of that. But where are the gifts of healing? Where are the miraculous works of the Holy Spirit? We also fall into another trap sometimes, and we'll deal with this more at the beginning of the year. We kind of assume that, that it's the, the people who would, who would naturally be up front more are the ones we would expect to, to have these certain miraculously powerful gifts. I think that's a mistake. Because the passage clearly says that these things are given to different ones. And if the people coming up here are primarily given gifts of understanding or knowledge or wisdom or something like that, maybe we should be looking somewhere else. Among somebody maybe that you would think is very quiet. Maybe it is in their life that God wishes to pour out the Spirit in another way. Maybe we have over-glorified this experience of of what happens on the platform and under-recognized what takes place within the community. Everyone has God-given capacity and purpose. And then he gets on to the metaphor. Verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So I did a very important thing this week. I bought skis. I bought skis. Got the whole outfit. I even got a helmet. 
I'm from the Stone Age when we used to ski without helmets. But I have one now. I bought skis, and I bought myself a pass, so that at any point when I feel like I want to go, I can load up my car and head up to the hill. And when I finally get out there and ski, you can bet that no part of my body will be taking the day off. My legs will be involved. My arms will be involved. My torso will be involved. My eyes will be involved. My ears will be involved. My mind will be involved. And when I get home, certain portions of my anatomy will need special care because they will have grown sore and tired. And my arm won't say to my leg, get up, you lazy bum. What my arm will do is lean very hard on something and help me get up. You see, my body works together. And this is the metaphor that Paul gives us for the church. There are, we are appointed to do in Boulder way more important things than go skiing. And as a community, we need everyone involved as God has enabled them to be involved. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. We, the church, have a responsibility to communicate to everyone that God has called us to be in this place, in this season, to do his will, and that everyone is a part of it. Now, here's a reality that is a blessing from the truth that there are more than, there's multiple churches. There are other places. And it is perfectly okay for us to find the community in which we recognize our calling best fits. And therefore, it's not always the case that in every body of believers, the way things are done are the same. The, the churches are different as well. And so it's important to find the body that you're a part of and belong to. Uh, he goes on here. In verse 23, and on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unrepresentable parts we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This speaks very much to that whole idea of how we love one another, isn't it? doesn't it? Now, in case you're of a mind that, wow, I wish we could be more like the Corinthian church, I'm not sure you want to be, 
Because they didn't really do this all that well. They were a struggling group. They always loved one another like they might have. That's why this counsel was given, because they needed it. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's a pretty big calling, isn't it? That's a pretty big calling. One other text, 2 Corinthians. Letter to the same church. A little bit later on, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So this is this, this same idea that we've become a part of something big and important. And there is a part for us in it. We're not just living for ourselves. If your whole fixation on the notion of church is me being saved, you've missed the notion. That's taken care of at the beginning. Now step into the life of faith. Join the team. Be a part of what God is doing in this season of our lives. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God has made you alive. The old is gone. The new has come. You are a new creation. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is our purpose? We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is our purpose. We are Christ's ambassadors to Boulder for this time. How's that for a purpose? Does that sound important? We are Christ's ambassadors to Boulder for this time. Not Christ's ambassadors to Boulder for a time past. We are ambassadors for now. And I leave you with this question. So what does Boulder need from Jesus' ambassadors in the year 2022? It starts with the new creation in Christ. 
And that was symbolized in the service we participated in last week. It was a little different than we usually do, but we had a communion service. And we engaged it together and we made the point about how, how this is a community made up of different things. Not unlike some of these Bible communities. There was the Orthodox side. There was, there was the Greek side. And Paul was saying, no, you're here together. Starts with new creation. I want to ask Laura and Kensley to come back up because we're going to sing a song in a minute here about a place at the table. You see, that's what the communion service is really all about. And that's the point that it makes. It's not about who was good enough to be a part of it or who wasn't good enough to be a part of it. No, anyone who professes faith in Jesus, there is a place at the table for you. We need to find that place at the table. And we need to take our place at the table. And we need to welcome everyone else that Jesus has called to be there. This place at the table, there's a, it's a place of forgiveness, yes. But it's also a place of purpose. You're not just here hanging around until Jesus comes. You've joined the victorious army of Jesus Christ. And he has a work to do in the world now. Let's sing this song together. And then I'll close with a few more comments. So as this is a new hymn for a lot of us, Kensley is going to lead us in it for the first verse. And we invite you to join us in repeating the first verse and in the remainder of the verses.
second here. We're going to sing a couple more songs in a moment. But this song is an example of what I'm talking about here, of the community. Powerful words, beautiful song. I didn't know it. Kensley mentioned it to me. I mentioned it to Laura. She knew it from another context. They brought that peace, and it blessed us all. You see how that works? We make a place for it. We make a place for each other. We find out how to take the different pieces. And what I love about this song, it talks about taking those different pieces from the extreme and and making this a place where the answer to the question, do you want me here, is yes. The answer to the question, do you love me, is yes. The answer to the question, is the Lord with you, is yes. The answer to the question, do you have a purpose, is yes. And the answer to the question, is there a place for me in that purpose, is yes. This is who God is calling us to be. Now we reach the end of this series from this fall, focused on these questions, and we enter into a very special time of the year. I like to call this the season of feasting starts with Thanksgiving and it doesn't stop till New Year's Day. And as we move into this season, we're going to move away from this heavier topics and we're going to talk about the subjects associated with the season. We'll talk about Thanksgiving next week and being thankful in our hearts. We'll talk about the Christmas story in the weeks ahead. And this is a very special year because Christmas is a Sabbath this year. We have the opportunity to come here and there's a really fun activity in the works for that particular Sabbath, particularly for the kids. So you make sure you're here. You make sure your parents get you here that day because that's going to be a very special day. But let's start into this season of feasting and this season of love for one another by being thankful that we have this place have each other and that we have grace through Jesus Christ.